Welcome to Kindly Gifted. I'm your host, Kate Tarantiva, and I can't wait to unwrap the world of influence with you. Every day, your gifted episodes, see what I did there, to help you become fluent in the business of creativity and learn the best kept industry secrets to creating an online presence worth remembering. It's really like having a momager on speed dial. So let's dive into it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mayor, welcome to Kindly Gifted. I'm so excited to have you here. Meryl and I met through email and hopped on a Zoom to talk about influencer marketing stuff. I realized just how cool of a company you work for and all these really interesting things that you do. Like studied advertising, you've worked abroad, you've been a creative director, and now you're working in the influencer marketing startup scene. But in a different direction. You're doing ideas as opposed to products, which is such a novel concept. Yeah. I mean, first of all, thank you so much for having me. You've built such an incredible podcast and you've had such, you know, incredible guests. So it's definitely such an honor to, to be invited on. Um, I can give kind of a, a bit of a spiel about my background. Um, Please do. So essentially I kind of, my first foray into the world of influencer marketing kind of came, I fell into it in high school. Um, I had like a viral One Direction Twitter account um, <laughs> that was unbelievably cringe, but um, sort of started to see what it was like to grow as a creator. Um, definitely wasn't in the monetization phase quite yet of this world, but it was definitely my first kind of introduction into um, the world of the influencer sphere, I guess. Um, and once that account was, well, I shut it down. I was going to say once <laughs> that account was shut down. Um, you know, nothing really came of it, but I did have the experience and then, um, you know, I ended up going to school, I was studying advertising and then I actually got scouted as a model and I was doing that for some time. And that's sort of why I lived abroad. I was in Chile for two years. I was in Mexico for, um, just under a year. And that was at a time that there started to become a really interesting intersection between, um, the modeling industry and the influencer marketing industry. Um, you know, there used to be a time where you'd show up at castings, they'd ask you, you know, name, agency, height. Um, and then it started being, okay, name, agency, height, social handles, name, agency, height, social handles, follower account. And that's when I sort of started to realize, um, what the world of influencer marketing was all about. So in Chile, I sort of became a Chilean micro influencer. And that was kind of when I started to see the monetization aspect of it all. Um, and then in 2020, of course, when uh, something crazy happened in this world, um, <laughs> my modeling contracts all ended up being canceled. I was, you know, working abroad mostly. And um, a friend of mine, you know, reached out to me knowing that I had a little bit of experience in the influencer industry. He had a great idea for an influencer marketing startup, but really didn't know where to start on the, uh, you know, creator piece. So. That's when he reached out to me. I joined that company. I was there for two and a half years. We did um, like product marketing. Um, We worked on a lot of like direct consumer brands, a lot of streaming platforms, did a lot of influencer marketing with like record labels when it comes to kind of like pushing uh, songs on TikTok. Um, And then recently in the, when did I move over? Probably October or November. 
I moved over to Urban Legend, which is essentially um, an influencer marketing platform for ideas. So that's never products. Um, but on the side, I'm also managing two influencers of my own. And I have a couple of other, you know, consulting things that I've been working on just because I do love the influencer marketing industry so, so much. Um, like it's my job and my hobby. So <laughs> I kind of, uh, I'm definitely busy, but I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> okay. So there's so many different parts of the influencer marketing space that you're involved in. What would you say is different from the creator side versus the agency or brand side of things that you've experienced either as yourself, you know, when you were a micro influencer or, um, on behalf of some of the clients that you're managing? Yeah. I think the way you look at content is definitely different on one side versus the other. I know like as a creator, you're super focused on, you know, engagement and those numbers and what those returns look like. Whereas on the brand side, it's a little bit, I mean, definitely engagement is still important, but it's more about marketability and where kind of there is a, you know, if it is a product, like where there's a product fit or where there's room for advertisement versus, you know, the engagement. So a lot of those creators who do, you know, trend videos um, with, you know, popular trends or music, like uh, transition videos, stuff like that, they're not necessarily as marketable as creators who are doing kind of get ready with me stuff like that, um, despite the fact that maybe that is what's getting engagement. So it's really interesting to look at it from, you know, those two different lenses where, you know, from uh, as someone who's kind of looking at it as a creator, a manager, and uh, an advertiser, uh, it's kind of hard to to marry all of those things into a perfect storm. So it's really interesting when you find creators who are able to kind of um, have all of those pieces, because a lot of the times they really don't without proper guidance. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. I completely agree. I think it's funny what you mentioned before too, where, you know, you, you had that evolution in the modeling space of like, suddenly all of these influencer-esque metrics became really important. I even remember when we were casting models, it was like, oh, this model's verified on Instagram. Like if she posts at the shoot, this is going to be great for our brand. Absolutely. So you're kind of hiring like a model for the day, but also in sense an influencer, so you're creating like good experience on set, you know, hoping that the influencer is ultimately going to post. It's like an in-person kind of unboxing customer service experience. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned that, but then you're also mentioning that the prioritization of engagement or these vanity metrics is actually really not that important to brands. It's more important to creators. I literally have been waiting for somebody else to say that. <laughs> really? Like, yeah, because I just don't think, like you said, they don't have proper guidance or the skill set that's needed to market yourself as a person, but as a product. How do you fit into somebody else's brand story? It's like fashion collaborations, right? Like why does Fendi collaborate with Tiffany? Or why does Gucci create a collaboration with Adidas. Like what was the thinking behind that? How come it was so authentic? And I think creators need to think about working with brands in the same way where like, instead of you allowing a brand to borrow your equity, how can you create a moment of shared equity where your IP as a creator actually means something and you bring it to a brand's table and they're like, oh, this is really valuable. Yeah. And, you know, there's conversion or like more significant metrics behind that, that you can carry over to a brand of any size. Absolutely. And I think like brands are really starting to value authenticity in content over the engagement, just because 
you know, that is what converts at the end of the day, you know, creators are, you know, who are able to kind of connect with their audience on, on a level that's more than just views, likes, comments. I mean, I guess comments are, are somewhat important, but, um, you know, there's such a difference in like, you know, there could be the greatest ad you've ever seen in your life, but it might not convert. Whereas something that may not have as many views could have converted, you know, so much better than, you know, a video that had millions and millions of views. And that kind of opens up a whole other conversation of, you know, authenticity in, you know, when booking creators, what that looks like, you know, these kind of strict creative briefs versus, uh, you know, a little bit more open-ended and allowing the creators to really make something their own, you know, hmm. such a drastic difference in, in the outcomes, you know, coming from an advertiser perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree about what you said in terms of some of these more authentic pieces, like feel like they convert a lot better, which is also very ironic to me because you have a creator, like, I don't know, like maybe Alex Earl is not a good example of this, but somebody like, um, Michaela yeah. who was selling out products and blowing up these small businesses. The minute she gets ads, it's a whole different story. It's very polarizing. Oh, now you're getting paid for this thing. It's very interesting in terms of views of rising in the influencer space, both from the consumer perspective, but also from the brand who's like, we don't need sales, but give us sales. Yeah. It's very interesting, but you work now with a company that mm, is more about marketing ideas as opposed to products. Tell me a little bit more about that concept. I just think it's so cool. Yeah. So definitely, um, something brand new for me as well, which is cool because I've been in this space for a really long time and never seen it. So I think that's why I was kind of so excited to make the move. Um, I have a cute little stat I can pull up. Um, yeah. The morning consult actually ran a um, influencer marketing report where they interviewed a bunch of millennial and Gen Z influencers to ask them about kind of, I mean, their experience as creators, but one of the questions was, you know, what is the motivation to become an influencer? And the biggest motivation for Gen Z influencers was the opportunity to make a difference in the world that kind of supersedes money, fame, attention. Um, millennials, it was maybe like the, the third top one, which I, it's another interesting kind of conversation, but that's a whole other kind of worms. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, influencers really want to be able to be authentic and talk about things that matter to them rather than just products. Um, and a lot of these influencers that, you know, I work with are getting really burnt out on product marketing, especially, you know, in the light of, you know, this Michaela era, right? Like mm -hmm. it's very hard to market products and stay authentic. Whereas idea marketing is a lot more personal. It's a lot more, um, you know, I'm losing my, uh, I'm losing you know, my, you, you have to like believe in the idea and also there's more significant consequences for if you associate yourself with a certain idea yeah. now and you don't believe it but you decided to do it for a check and then later you're like oh actually just kidding i don't really care about that it ends up creating a really big scandal for both the brand and you maybe much more so than i put on false lashes mm -hmm. And I told everybody that it was the mascara, you know, no, exactly. And a really interesting part of our model, um, kind of going back to the authenticity piece is that we actually never give creators deliverables, um, like set deliverables or anything like that. Like 
we allow them to kind of take the idea that is being marketed. And I'll, I'll kind of dive into what idea marketing is also because yeah, it's probably do. a little please confusing. This, um, this is so interesting. Yeah. So essentially like idea marketing, what that typically looks like is social, cultural, economic, environmental, parenting, mental health, like issues and topics. Um, sometimes it looks like pieces of legislation. Sometimes it's just overall awareness about different things that are going on. Um, a lot of our, you know, campaign sponsors are largely like nonprofits and cause-based organizations. So, you know, they have kind of ideas, concepts, things that they want to um, market and talk about and raise awareness about. Um, and, you know, these kind of nonprofits and cause-based organizations are really starting to dip their toe into the world of influencer marketing, which is really interesting. Um, so the way that our kind of model works is it's kind of a cost per action model. So all of our campaigns are actually tied to a real world tangible action. So that's maybe um, letters to lawmakers, petition signatures, things that actually do have potential to make a real difference in the world. Um, and we actually had a really interesting, um, like to give a concrete example of the type of change we're making. Um, we had a campaign a couple months ago about kind of saving um it was about give me a sec it was a little bit of a wonkier topic <laughs> it's about kind of um there's a piece of legislation introduced about um hold on <laughs> i have the study you're all good uh da, 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 da. Oh yeah, so a piece of legislation was introduced about kind of damaging industry tariffs um, on the solar, mm. solar, uh, solar, <laughs> solar jobs. Um, and essentially we ran a campaign to kind of tell the Biden administration that these, you know, tariffs on these solar jobs were damaging and were gonna affect, you know, tons and tons and tons of Americans. And actually our campaign concluded early because the Biden administration saw all of the you know, noise that was being risen about this stuff and actually made the decision to waive those solar tariffs. So stuff wow. like that is kind of, you know, just to give a very concrete example of the type of like ideas we're marketing, um, it's kind of, it's, I mean, it's very broad. It's not always pieces of legislation. Sometimes it's something as simple as, hey, here's a, you know, landing page to teach you 10 facts about mental health. But Idea marketing is very different than product marketing, especially because, you know, it doesn't require people to spend any money. We're not pushing, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, we do work on an affiliate model um, or I guess what's similar to an affiliate model. So essentially, like we work on that cost per action model. So we pay our creators right. based on how much like real world action they drive. Um, but it's so different from you know, this typical product affiliate marketing model where people have to spend money for you to make money, where like really all you need to make money in this uh, place is to have an audience that trusts you, believes in you, and also wants to drive change as much as you do. So it's, it's a very different kind of um, way to do influencer marketing. And I think it's going to become a lot more popular. You know, the Washington, I believe it was the Washington Post, I could be wrong, um, <laughs> ran an article around election season about how influencers are really kind of changing the game when it comes to, uh, you know, voting turnouts and when it comes to um, pieces of legislation and what's passing. And like influencers are really starting to make noise and become known, uh, you know, game players in the political sphere, which is really, really interesting. Right. Yeah. It, it is fascinating because like you said, in the millennial era, like 
nobody talked about these things. No, are like, it was so taboo for anyone. It was so taboo. It was like, God forbid I talk about politics because if I do, that's it. I'm going to lose all my followers. But then it's interesting because like you said, they're driven by different things, right? So it's about asking yourself as a creator, what am I driven by? Is it money, influence, or power? Um, exactly. And, and figuring out then I think from there, you know, not only the kinds of brands that you go on to create or the kinds of the kind of general career that you go on to have, but also what kinds of influencer marketing efforts will I participate in and be successful in? Because like you said, affiliate marketing is not for everyone. And that may no. simply be because you don't have great sales skills or you don't really align with pushing a $40 ring light on Amazon. Like you just maybe exactly. don't really care to do that. There are and, so yeah. many content creators that I work with who, you know, like, you know, going back to what we were saying before, their kind of profiles don't necessarily um, look like the type of profile that you can promote products with. It's like, there are so many creators that we work with who are unable to monetize really outside of our platform just because, um, you know, their content is not conducive to pushing, you know, bang energy essentially. Um, so it right. opens up a really kind of, you know, I talked to a, not only that, but I talked to a creator the other day who is a big environmentalism creator. And she, she talks a lot about, um, just green living and how to, you know, she's also like very political and likes to talk a lot about different, um, you know, pieces of legislation that are going to affect the environment and stuff like that. And she was saying, you know, one, her profile is not meant for products, you know, there's really no way for her to put a brand deal in, in it to look authentic and real. Yes. And also if you're like an environmental creator, you have to do even more due diligence. Like mm -hmm. how sustainable is this? Is it, does it benefit the environment? Cause one misstep and you're done. Exactly. And not only that, but a lot of these creators who are really, um, you know, into advocacy and like want to use their pages to be advocates, people see that and think, okay, they'll do stuff for free, which a lot of the time, you know, they yeah. might do stuff for free, but they still need to monetize. At the end of the day, it's still a career and they have, you know, huge platforms and it's very difficult for them to monetize um, because people are looking at them through this lens of, okay, either you're going to do stuff for free or the products I have don't align with this brand. So mm. very interesting opportunity. And there's definitely so much room in this space for, you know, advocacy to be used on creators platforms. Yeah. I think you also brought up just a bigger issue in general of when you can tell that somebody is super passionate about something, there will often be times where brands will come to you and be like, oh yeah, we're in the same space as you or we're in the same industry or genre or whatever. It seems like you really love this space. Can you yeah. market this for free? I'm sorry. What? Two plus two equals four, period. Exactly. I don't know how you tried to add it up and made it into six. It doesn't work that way. It's interesting. I was talking to a creator who is not a, like, um, like an advocacy creator, but they specialize in a very niche area of thought leadership mm -hmm. and has brands specifically finance and come to them like you clearly love this. We just like love how passionate you are. And they're trying to market that angle of selling this partnership to her that ultimately will not pay a dime. Ironic because how costly is it to be in the finance industry and have a degree and be a thought leader in that space. And somebody who works in that space or is in the same industry is trying to like 
do the whole, Hey, do us a favor. Like we're in the same. Exactly. And like, no, like coming from the advertiser space, like a lot of the times they're going to know the answer they're going to get, but like, I don't know why they, it's definitely difficult to, to monetize when you're, when you're such a niche, you know what I mean? When you have such a kind of, and, and it's really starting, you know, the tides are really starting to change on social media where these kind of like niche, I don't want to say advice creators, but, um, these creators who are in these very like specific, I know I keep using the word niche, right. But these very specific, no, but it is a, yeah, the word. Um, <laughs> exactly. And like, you're starting to see a lot of these creators are becoming very popular and are getting huge audiences and it's, you know, how do they monetize? It's a very good question. Um, right. Yeah. It's also hard because from my perspective, what I see is I'm in like the marketing branding space. Um, and being niche does get you some leverage in terms of there are certain opportunities that you don't get as a lifestyle creator or for you don't for a very long time, right? Maybe there's, like you said, if there's an environmental creator, they can immediately like go to some sort of panel or event or a protest or something. And it would make a lot of sense for their brand, but also it's something that they probably would go to and do naturally. So there's certain other monetization opportunities that mm -hmm. I think are are open to niche creators that maybe are not so much open to the average trend base. Definitely. Get ready with me creator, or at least not for a long time. Um, but yeah, it's very fascinating because the other part is that some people get really lost in whatever it is that they want to do and they enter the, uh, the creator advice niche, mm -hmm. which I hate so much um, <laughs> because it's just people's experiences, but they're repackaged as rules, right? They're like, yes. buy my course or you won't succeed. I don't know. I think I'm doing okay, but thanks. Yeah. Um, so there's that space where people get really burnt out of whatever niche they're doing, or they realize they're being too general. They don't know what they want to do. They don't want to take the time to figure that out. So they're like, well, I've been a creator for X amount of years. So I'll just start giving advice on how to be a creator, I guess. I don't know. It's very, it's very. Which it's is hilarious to me because you know how fickle social media is, right? The rules change every single day. You know, I had a, um, a former coworker who worked at TikTok and would tell us kind of, um, obviously not like how the algorithm works, but like just certain like tricks about what was prioritized by the algorithm or like what, you know, percentage of, um, or, you know, how many seconds, like the most, um, popular videos are going to be. And I was kind of looking back at my notes literally yesterday and I was like, this has all changed completely. It was like, don't do long form content. Um, you know, try and do exclusively trends. And obviously we now know that it's so different. Like what's being prioritized on TikTok right now, longer form content, get ready with me is, um, you know, the stuff that is just kind of these quick trends, they're kind of falling out of favor with TikTok. So, you know, right. when people come on and they're giving all this advice, it's, it's, uh, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt because you really, really never know. And, right. you know, a lot of these platforms, I don't know this from experience, but my guess is that they're kind of intentional with uh, what becomes popular. For example, like I believe that, you know, TikTok probably chooses who's going to have a viral moment based on, you know, their own personal brand. Like I personally believe that like Charlie D'Amelio, for example, was a very intentionally 
um, it was a very intentional rise to fame by TikTok so they could create a star and create all these users who wanted to become famous, become stars. Because, you know, prior to Charlie, TikTok wasn't seen as a platform to potentially get famous, you know, and right. I, I think, I think it was probably very intentional, but do you think the same thing went about somebody like Alex Earl too, where maybe they did something similar where it allowed people to a little bit more gradually transition into something long form? And I don't yeah, know. I mean, Alex Earl is kind of an enigma to me, right? Because she came out of nowhere. Um, you know, if you look into her background, it makes a lot of sense that she would become an influencer. So it seems kind of like there could be some intention behind it. But honestly, like a lot of these creators who become huge at least you hear murmurings about them before like um you think about all these you know the charlies again like the noah becks the you know the big names of tiktok you've known about them before they become superstars and that actually wasn't the case with alex i think a lot of people weren't familiar with alex or really knew who she was until they couldn't escape her so she is very interesting to me um mm -hmm. which kind of could make sense as that kind of being the, you know, the reason for her rise to fame, not to kind of diminish any of her accomplishments or like her as a creator, obviously, because she's obviously built an incredible brand and is an incredible creator, but um, it, it is interesting. <laughs> you brought up an, a good point because I've also wondered the same thing. And then they like released so many articles being like, oh yeah, you know, TikTok employees will heat certain videos or basically put added pressure on the I've algorithm to that, yes. those videos. And I'm like, I'm not surprised. I mean, they're trying to grow their brand and change the perception of their platform after being seen as just like a trend-based platform for so long. Maybe you do need to put some extra heat behind a certain creator that can pivot you in a different direction that will take longer to do on its own. So I get it. But at the same time, I'm sure that pisses a lot of creators off being like, oh, okay. So it's just, here's a golden ticket. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too. It does make a lot of sense because if you think about it, um, before Alex, it had been quite some time before, like since TikTok had created a, a star, you know, right. it, it had been a couple of years since we had such a huge overnight sensation coming from TikTok. So it is very interesting that, you know, she kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. Even you talking just now, I was like, well, when was the last time we really had someone like that? Exactly. And it's, it's a good point that you brought up that even if you were to mention somebody like Charlie or Dixie or um, Addison or those more trend-based creators of the earlier era of TikTok, it's true. You did know them before they became famous. It's almost like you kind of grew with their fame. Um, whereas some people now just like come out the gate and I'm like, who the fuck is this? And why are they com consistently getting like 2 million views? And I've never heard of them until today. Yeah. Um, I mean, just... there are certain people who you can always tell something's going on because they'll appear on your for you page five times in a day. And you're like, okay, I don't know who this individual is. I've never interacted with content that looks like this. What yeah. are you doing here all day long? <laughs> you know, <laughs> why do you keep popping up? Or it's the same video every single time. And I'm like, I've already, I've already surpassed this video. Like, yeah. I, can't. I have also noticed it's very interesting. And I don't know if there's a correlation, but if a user is verified on Instagram and they mm -hmm. create a TikTok, and I know before they would pay like verified Instagram creators to go on TikTok, but now I'll see um, people that 
are verified on Instagram, come on to TikTok, start creating TikToks and immediately grow a significant amount of engagement specifically. And I may be a little salty, but specifically male thought leaders mm. with nothing interesting to say. <laughs> and I, again, I'm, I'm coming off of like a little bit of just disappointment because I, mm -hmm. I posted a couple videos and it was written with comments from men telling me about how like not new, whatever I said was, or was trying to know <laughs> the complexity of something. Yeah. I mean, it's whatever, you know, when you're a woman existing, your existence becomes a burden to other men who are threatened. So I know. And we're so sorry about that for everyone. <laughs> I know. My apologies. <laughs> but yeah, it's very interesting because I'll see like men and specifically in my industry who will come on and they're like verified on Instagram and like not discounting their expertise at all. Some of those people have inspired my careers as well, but they come on and say something that's like not at all mm -hmm. novel. And People treat them as if they turned water into wine, not a negative comment insight. You'll go to a woman's page and it's like ridden with, that's not innovative. That's not new. We already knew that. Um, I don't know, you know, or you didn't say that correctly, or that's not what it is. Yeah. All men. It's all the same bros that were commenting wonderful things on this guy's page. Yeah. It's, exactly. it's weird. It's like a weird but yeah, I mean, I guess this is kind of like two points in one where it's like, I just noticed that there are some verified creators still that come on TikTok and like get a ton of attention and or influence or followers, or I don't know the conversion metrics behind all of that. Maybe it's not yeah. good. No. But yeah. But then there's also the like weird energy towards men versus women on the platform. I don't know. It's very strange. Definitely want to touch on both those points um, as far as kind of quote unquote public figures kind of rising on social platforms. I do know that a lot of these social platforms have dedicated teams whose entire jobs are to go get public figures off other platforms and bring them to their platforms. Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I don't want to like avow it, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, all of these kind of social platforms definitely have some version of that. Um, so it would make sense that they would, like you said, like put heat under these, these videos to kind of, especially they're spending all these resources on getting these people. So it kind of makes sense that they would then kind of boost those videos um, to get, you know, whatever ROI they're looking for. But on the, um, on the kind of male female dynamic on TikTok, yeah, that's a whole can of worms. And it's really interesting because there's such a difference in reception, um, like public reception to male versus female creators versus brand reception, which is really interesting. Um, mm. As someone who manages a female creator and a male creator, drastic difference in, you know, who's getting deal flow. Um, it's very, very hard for men to actually monetize on the platform, which is really interesting. Um, really? Like, oh my God, I thought you were literally about to be like, yeah, the dude's getting a lot of deals. Yeah. Wait, so the woman is getting, oh my God, that's amazing. As, yeah. as she should. Like, yeah. So I feel like there are kind of, there are probably two industries and they're both my industries that, you know, I've seen women really kind of prevailing over men um, as far as kind of monetization goes. And it's, and it is the influencer industry and the modeling industry. And that's largely my experience, but I know from, you know, a brand side, like, when I was doing uh, like product marketing or, you know, streaming, all that stuff, you know, we booked largely women, like majority women, just because, you know, 
it's a very different audience, I want to say. Um, so it is very interesting to see kind of the, the dynamic versus, you know, the monetization aspect versus the reception, because it's, it is so true. Like men get a very different reception on, on social media than women do. And that's a whole other can of worms also. Yeah. Oh my God. At first I was like, maybe I really did say something that was not that novel. Granted, I live in this industry head down under the ground. You know, you come up to the surface and you're like, whoa, most people don't even know how this works, but you already automatically assume, well, no shit. This is a really basic concept. Then I go to like some of the guys pages and I'm like, you're literally explaining how influencer marketing works from like 2012, babe. It don't work the same way now. Like this is not the same industry. What? No, I don't know. This industry is different every week. It truly is every single week. (laughs) It's a very weird discrepancy, but also at the same time, I guess it makes sense that women get more deal flow not only because this is a female dominated industry, but also I think it's consumer psychology. Women just buy more varieties of things. You know, we get Mm. lured in based on things like packaging or how cute something looks or how it's going to make us feel. You know, we buy more qualitatively, not saying all women do that, but generally speaking, it's very like emotion-based buying and the return of it has to be emotional for us. That is very true. I never thought about that. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so funny. I love shopping with my guy friends because it's just hilarious. I'll walk in and be like, oh my God, that's so cute. Adorbs. In my mind, I already pictured an outfit. In my mind, I picture how I feel. I'm like, slay, slay, slay. This is going to make me look amazing. In your mind, you've already gone through. I'm wearing it. Period. So (laughs) the guy walks in, picks out an item. First thing, looks at the tag. Mm Mm-hmm. First thing, like there is nothing else. And that alone, like he doesn't even spend an extra three seconds looking at it. He's like, oh, this is like $150 cardigan. Like, no, thanks for putting it back. Yeah. And by the time we've gotten to the tag, we've already gone through an entire emotional Everything else. We've already visualized the potential of this garment in our closet. I mean, like maybe that also says about how we pick out like men, but um, (laughs) who knows? (laughs) Maybe that's why a lot of women are settling. I don't know. But I mean... Yeah, it's very interesting. Like men buy very quantitatively. So Mm. what is, you know, what is the price of this thing? Is it practical? Is it going to help me with that? It's, it's very interesting. I think that's also why a lot of men like don't have multiples of the same item. You'll go into a guy's house and he'll like have three pairs of shoes. You'll go to a woman's place. It'll be, you know, like 50 pairs of shoes. And you're, you're over here, you have your friends like justifying why, all these three pairs of loafers that look exactly the same, like are in fact very different. Yes. Whereas a guy's like, no, I have a pair of sneakers. I've had this since I was a senior in high school. They still, they're, they're great. And then I have this other pair and this other pair and like, that's it. But so maybe that's also why women get more deal flow is because like we already buy more varieties of things anyway, or multiple types of the same product anyway. So it's easier to market that way? Yeah, no, that actually makes a lot of sense. I kind of never thought into it that that much. I just kind of was like, eh, I guess that's the way it is. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because like sales-wise, just ability, I do think men are trained to be better at it. Like they just, I don't know, they're born with this bone in their body that they just know how to sell shit. Whereas for women, 
a lot of it is like, oh my God, are people going to get tired of hearing about this? Mm -hmm. Like, are they going to not want to, am I annoying people? Like men don't really have that. They have way too much audacity to think that way. (laughs) So (laughs) something to learn from really. No, it's, it's, it's also very interesting because the, the product like affiliate marketing is so broken, you know, Mm. think about it. Um, like it's, there's such a lack of transparency when it comes to like affiliate marketing, like all of these platforms are very kind of, um, they don't give the, they don't give the advertiser all the information or the creator, all the information. So a lot of these creators, a lot of the time don't even know what they are selling. Um, you know, one of my coworkers is a creator and she does a lot of like affiliate marketing product stuff or had in the past. And, you know, she told me there's one platform that she uses where it'll give her a breakdown of how much she sold and how many items she sold, but she doesn't know which of the links she posted did well, which of the items are actually resonating with her audience. Oh, um, it's like, to know it. I bet it's actually not that one. Oh, that one does a shitty job too. Specifically linking to other affiliate programs like mm-hmm. Amazon. It doesn't break. Anyway, sorry. No, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't break down any of it. They don't know what they're actually selling, which is very confusing for them. Um, and a lot of the time, like they expect to get this, you know, okay, you sold 40 grand at this, you know, of this product and whatever will pay you out in 90 days. And then in 90 days, they only get, you know, the 25 K because of all the returns that were made and they don't know what was returned and they don't know a lot of the time they don't know what's actually kind of working that they're marketing, which is super interesting. Um, which kind of goes into this, like as women, like we want to know, <laughs> we want to know like what we're selling that works. We want to know like which products are working, especially when like you're advertising stuff to your audience. It's so important to kind of know that you're, going to sell something that works. Um, like, you know, if you're advertising a product and every single one of those was returned, you actually don't even know with a lot of these platforms. So if you're like advertising this broken product, you're not going to know a lot of the time with, yeah, that's really weird that they don't like tell you what sold. Like, yeah, there's really like a massive lack of transparency in, in the affiliate space. Um, Hmm which kind of not to like pivot back to urban legend, but essentially like our kind of affiliate model is very transparent. And that's kind of what, you know, we show exactly what the action is for each campaign, each campaign, you can see how many actions you drove. So you can really see like what issues that you're working on do. So you're able to like track in real time, kind of the impact. Exactly. Which is really cool. So like, you know, if I posted a campaign about, um, you know, it, let's say it's a, petition to, I don't know, make up whatever, but you know, I can see exactly how many of my followers took that action versus how many of my followers took this action, um, and be able to optimize accordingly, which as a creator to kind of have that real time, um, feedback, uh, as to like what you're advertising, whether it's working or not is so almost unheard of. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. That's very cool. Okay. So final question for you. This okay. is maybe a little bit of like an open-ended question. Cause you have a lot of experience in the space. What is something that you've learned as a marketer or somebody who's managing creators or being a creator yourself that you wish somebody told you about the creator industry that you want to pass down to somebody else? Okay. So I think I would say 
it's so important to like foster and cultivate relationships in this industry um, because this is an industry where kind of your resume doesn't necessarily matter. Um, it's kind of, you know, it's a little bit of an anomaly in that way that a lot of, you know, the majority of industries, what you've done and like what you have to prove for yourself is all that people look at when they look at you. And this industry is very different because it is such a new industry and um, there isn't a whole lot of precedent set and it's a lot of young people and like there's so much room for upward mobility. So like definitely hone in on your relationships and make sure that you're meeting people and kind of creating connections because at the end of the day, who you are as a person is what matters in this industry and like your goals and what you know your potential is rather than the things you've already done. Um, you know, this industry, there's so much potential for young people who might kind of be looked over in any other industry. You know, for example, I, I don't have the strongest resume. I, you know, when was working in fashion for a while and as you know, a lot of people will know there's no room for upward mobility in fashion. Um, and you know, I was kind of given a chance in this industry that I might not have gotten in so many others. So definitely just Long story short, connections, don't get down on yourself for not having, you know, a past to prove because in this industry, it's all about the future. Oh my God, that's (laughs) such a good note to leave this episode on. I'm so grateful that you came on to chat about idea marketing and just like your viewpoints on some of the more internal parts of how things move behind the scenes that creators may not know about. So I'm so grateful that you came on the show. And also I will link Urban Legend in the show notes for anybody who is interested in participating in idea marketing or just wants to check out the company. So if all of this sounded interesting to you, then definitely check out the link. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Thanks for tuning in to Kindly Gifted. To support the podcast, please leave a review, share with your friends, and don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you follow me on TikTok at Kate Mob for more creative secrets from the internet's momager. See you on the next episode of Kindly Gifted.